0: Whenever we need you, you're there, and uh, today we sent your presence. uh, We just gather today and we worship your name. We're so grateful for your son, and uh, we're grateful that on the third day he rose again. Lord, I pray you bless today every church in the Denver metro area. Pray you bless every service, every song being sung, every pastor who speaks, and every hand that is shaken. Jesus, I pray you bless. Our city today. But Lord, we love you so much. We're so grateful for all that you've done. We're so thankful for the goodness of God in our lives. We're so thankful that you came to earth and you gathered all of our sin uh, on your shoulders and were buried in the ground paid that price for us, and then on the third day when you rose again, we were completely set free, and Jesus, we're grateful for freedom, we're grateful for what you've done, and today we love you, and we honor you, today really is a celebration, Jesus, of the work uh, that you did for us, the work that you performed on the cross, we, we love you so much, Jesus. Uh, receive our prayer and our praise, our admiration today, Jesus, in your name we pray. And can the whole church, can you just shout a big amen this morning? Put your hands together. Let's thank these guys for that beautiful song today. Amen. Come on, church, you can do a little better than that. Let's tell Jesus you love him. Amen. It's good to see you. It's good to see all of you today. Um, Just, I want you to shout amen, all right? Good to see you. Thank you for being here today. And, uh, for those of you that are visiting, I met two or three visitors in the hall and as I was coming in, and I want to welcome you to the Pearl Church today. There are about 3,000 churches in the Denver metro area, and whether it's through a friend, a family member, whatever, you decided to join us today, and we're, we're really grateful that you were here. <clears throat> Man, I love Jesus. I love the Lord, and uh, I'm just sitting in the front row, you know, listening to that song, and tears pouring down my face, and... Are you, are you grateful for what Jesus has done in your life today? Uh, he's so good. And um, today really is a special day. This, this is really the, uh, I wanted to call it the iconic three-day journey, but it's more than that. It's, <clears throat> it really celebrates around the world. All around the globe, people are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. And, and uh, uh, you know, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead actually made Every one of his promises true. So all the things that Jesus said, all of it came together in the grave. It, was, it all accumulated. It all sat in that dark place in the grave waiting for his promise to be fulfilled. And when he rose from the dead, every promise was fulfilled. And uh, because of that, we have life. And, man, I'm just overwhelmed. I just love the Lord today. I just love Jesus. Uh, what I'm going to do is uh, I want to speak on a subject for the next few minutes called... Uh, There was no light in the tomb, and uh, I'm going to be in Ephesians chapter 1. This is where we've been for quite a while in our church, and uh, um, in Scripture, uh, in all of the Gospels, about 20% of the Gospels are dedicated to the resurrection and the Gospel story. Uh, In the New Testament, there are about 175 references to the resurrection in the New Testament, And uh, which means I have like 175 years of messages left for Easter, Amen. 175 years to go. And uh, but the one that I chose this morning, uh, I chose this for the sake of the church for our series because we we are in Ephesians chapter one, but also because of how it how it all kind of plays together, how everything connects. Uh, the grave, our heart, our life, our future. And I think it really is a beautiful picture of what Jesus has done. So I'm gonna go ahead and read uh, in Ephesians chapter one. I'll start in about verse 15, and I'm reading from the NIV this morning. It is for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people that I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And I keep asking that God of our, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I love that line. And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you and the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Because that power is the very same power "...as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. And he seated him at the right hand uh, of the Father in heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church." That particular verse I won't do today, but for the sake of the series, that is one of the most important verses regarding the church in scripture written by Paul where he says all things, he placed everything that we have in the world. Um, he appointed, Jesus appointed him to be head over everything for the church. So everything in this world that we have is for the kingdom of God and to build it. And Jesus is building his church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. There was no light in the tomb. All right, so today uh, I've chose this portion of scripture and what we have here is we have um, a little bit of a, of a picture of what Jesus does in our heart, So we're gonna talk about light. Uh, we're gonna talk about the darkness of the tomb, the, the light in our heart, the, the light in the tomb. Jesus was the light in the tomb. We're also gonna talk about how there's a correlation here or a, a metaphor or an analogy or a simile. I always get those three mixed up, right? Metaphor, analogy, simile of, of uh, the grave and our heart. And uh, there's, a, there's a metaphor. So we're gonna make a comparison between the heart and the grave, and how our hearts are darkened, and the the grave was dark, and and so we're going to make this sort of of metaphorical uh, walk through the grave here, just for a minute, but just for, for the sake of metaphor, we understand that when you when you bring up a one subject, you bring up something completely different, but you make a connection to try to paint this picture. So the one I heard this week, which was very apropos for what we experienced this week, for all of you snow people who weren't satisfied uh, that we had only sunshine in March, your prayers were answered and mine were denied. Amen. Uh, uh, but I, I love this one. This was a great one. Uh, it said, uh, cleaning the house while the kids are at home. Is like shoveling while it's still snowing. Amen. And for some of you, we had two snow days this last week. Some of you are still recovering from having your children home for two days. And, um, and while it was snowing, here's another one. He was deeply in love. And when she spoke, he thought that he heard bells. Now, now I want to tell you where these came from. They gave uh, a high school class an assignment, so they, what they did is they would write half of a sentence, and then you had to follow it up with like, so, you know, the, the, it's like, it's a metaphor, it's an analogy, uh, however you wanted to write it, but here's here's what one high school junior boy wrote, he was deeply in love, and when she spoke, he thought he heard bells, like a garbage truck backing up, see, this is, I'm in the high school world right now, this is so real to me, Um It was an American tradition like fathers chasing around their children with power tools. That was a sophomore boy. Um, Here's a a, a junior girl math math student. Um, uh, Long separated by cruel fate, the star-crossed lovers raced across the grassy field towards each other like um, two freight trains, one having left Cleveland at 6:36 p.m., <laughs> traveling at 55 miles per hour, the other from Topeka at 4:19 p.m. at the speed of 30 mile, 35 miles per hour. And I had a revelation just a second ago in the front row. I Was like, you ever noticed how every like story problem always uses Topeka and Cleveland? Uh, <laughs> And I don't know what to say about that, um, but all my Cleveland friends, I, I love you. Uh, but we're talking about this correlation. The grave is like the heart. The heart is like the grave. Um, um, our, our life is like a painting. You know, there's so many in scripture that are so wonderful, but today we're talking about the resurrection. And we'll jump back in here to Ephesians chapter one. Ephesians chapter one, verses 15 to 16, talks about how our faith, how Paul is speaking about our faith and and our prayers, and he's he's supporting us and he's loving us and he's praying for us. And it starts out with this phrase. It says, "For this reason." Now you'll see in parentheses um, on this verse. Uh, it says, "For this reason," uh, it's bolded right there. And really, the the reason it's bolded is because now you know how this works in Scripture. Uh, the manuscripts were written in Greek, and we've got to do the best job that we can do to take the Greek and turn it into English, right? And so that's why we have so many different versions of the Bible. And uh, But I really like this one because they did the very best job that they could do capturing this phrase for this reason. It's the Greek word. Okay, it's the Greek word. I, I did Greek, all right? I did Greek this morning. It's the Greek word dia. And what it means is, it means um, by the Lord. It literally means by the Lord. The Lord, And so what Paul was saying, he was trying to figure out a way to, to say that I'm very sincere about, about what I'm about to say to you. In other words, I'm praying for you. I'm thankful for you. And this is very sincere. It's by the Lord. If you can imagine a courtroom and uh, you put your hand on the Bible... And, and you have to repeat. It says, repeat after me, or this is what we say. In the court, we say, um, this is the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me, God. This is Paul's version of that. He says, for this reason. And what Paul was doing was, Paul was saying that this is the reason. I'm doing this because of the Lord. I'm praying for you because of the Lord. This is the truth. He says, I'm, I'm praying for you, I give thanks for you, and I'm telling you the truth. And not only am I telling you the truth, but I have the right motive because it's God's motive. So he says, he says, by the Lord, I'm praying for you, and I give thanks for you, and I don't have any wrong motive. Like the things that I'm saying to you today, I I really mean them, and when I say I'm gonna pray for you, I'm really praying for you, and I remember times in church, you know, I'm praying for you can become kind of a Christianese thing, right, once in a while. I remember back in the old days, the old school people, there there was a time where you'd go to church, and every person that you shook their hand, you know, would say, hey, I love you, I'm praying for you, right? And part of me just—I'm sort of rebellious. Part of me at times when I go, "No, you're not," um, you know. And I actually, Donna knows this. I actually did this one time, and it was, I was trying to be funny. Didn't go over well. Um, this lady says, "I'm praying for you," and I just said, "No, you're not." I said, uh, I, said, I said, we always say, that. you're not praying for me. So I grabbed her hand, I put it on my shoulder, and I said, I want to hold you accountable to the Lord, and so pray for me right now, and then don't ever say that again. So she just kind of shook, and she looked at me, and she prayed for me, and I said, no, don't, doesn't that feel better? Doesn't that feel better than lying? And um, and so and so we we pray. And so what Paul is saying that it's the it's the truth. And my motive is really pure right here. I'm praying for you because it's God. So in the world uh, without God, the way people think is they think that they think that that truth and motives are really uh, relative based on what the goal is. And this is the way the whole world works. Truth and motives. Are relative based on whatever your goal is. So we'll change the truth and we'll hide our motive based on the goal. But in the Gospels, truth and motive, they are the goal. Like there is no other goal in Scripture other than truth and motive. And so Jesus comes along and Paul says, we're going to tell you the truth and our motive is simply to tell you about God, God has no other motive except that He loves you and He cares for you. And it's so, this is really important in scripture, it's really important in Ephesians. And uh, it's the motive. And, and I think in today's world, motives get so uh, messed up and twisted. And I think that God is constantly, as Christians, trying to help us out here. But um, it's like the salesman this really happens. All these things really happen to me, and they've happened in the last year. A salesman calls me at eight o'clock at night. Do you remember when salesmen used to call at 6 o'clock right when you were sitting down to eat dinner? Well, they've changed their motive because they know that nobody answers their phone between 6 and 7, so now they call at 8 o'clock. Salesman calls me on the phone. I don't recognize the number, and I'm fine with it. You know, he's making money. He's got a job. So I answer, hello. And he says, says, hello. I said, hello. He says, how are you? And I knew it was a salesman, so I said, you don't care. (laughs) He goes, you know what? I said, what, what, what's your product? What are you selling tonight? He goes, no. He goes, well, how are you? I said, you don't care how I am. I said, I'm holding my credit card. What are you selling? I may not buy anything from you. I may not even, but it's 8 o'clock. No one ever calls me at 8 o'clock with a blocked number. And he says, well, I've got this product. And I said, I said, okay, I don't want it. And I said, how are you? He goes, I'm fine. And I said, I actually care. I said, how are you? Who's your wife? I got his wife's name. I got his kid's name. I got his parents' name. He had a dog named Ralph. No joke. He had a dog named Ralph, a beagle named Ralph, okay? He was from Washington State. He actually grew up um, just up north of Seattle. Um, I knew that he had visited a church that I knew about. We had mutual friends. And by the time the whole thing was over, we were like laughing. And then at the very end, he goes, are you Doug Lassett? And I said, yeah. He goes, I heard you preach at a church one time. And I said, well, what church was it? He goes, it was at the city church. I said, you need to go to that church. Go to that church. He says, gosh, maybe I should. I said, yeah, you should go on Easter. It's going to be a great service. You and so all of a sudden, how are you? And I just said, you don't care. <laughs> you don't care. And sometimes my wife gets really embarrassed at these moments. But I believe it's the calling of God on my life. Um, I had a timeshare guy one time said to me, he said to me, he said to me, he said to me, you need to buy this timeshare because I really care about your marriage. <laughs> Donner will remember that I, I said, I got so angry at the guy. I said, you don't care about my marriage. He goes, I call timeshares marriage insurance. And I said, I call marriage insurance Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. And and we had this argument that embarrassed my wife as well. And then I remember one time one time, now you, you have to be around a while to remember this, okay? But for those of you who remember the season, you will remember this season. The season is do you remember when McDonald's started their salad menu because they cared about your health? <laughs> or it could have been the $100 million lawsuit. But do but, but you remember when the salad came out and you walk in for the first time to McDonald's and there's a salad? And you're looking at the salad menu, and you're like, man, these people really care about my health. And then the funny part is, now, I don't know how this works. Now, some of you scientists, I know that you understand this because I don't have any clue. How is it that a salad can be more fattening than a Big Mac? But it's true, they do, the, and I don't know if it's the preservatives they use or things they spray on there, but there was a report that came out a while back that some of the salads at the fast food restaurants are actually more, more fattening than, than a Big Mac, and, and then I was crushed because I thought they really cared. It was really hard for me. Um, but what is really important when we talk today about, about this motive thing with Jesus is that, that you realize that the only motive that Jesus has is love. And the only person that he loves is you. The only motive that Jesus has is love. Now, we're all here together. He loves us all individually. But the only motive Jesus has is love. And the only person that he loves is you. You're his first love. And there's no other motive that he doesn't say it because he doesn't mean it. He's not trying to get you to do anything. He's not trying to get you to buy anything or sell anything. He just loves you. So the motive is true. And uh, his heart for you is pure then in verse 17, it says this, Paul said, hate look, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Now, that's really important because in Scripture, um, Paul and Jesus and the apostles, they were always asking for us, for you and I to have revelation. Revelation is so important. Let me make that word really simple. It's the aha moment. Revelation is where something that did not make sense to you before now makes sense for the first time. We've all had those moments, right? Where something made sense for the very first time. He says, so that you may know him better. That verse is incredibly important to me. That the, this, the revelation that, that we need, look, the only thing that I care about this morning on this Easter Sunday is that you know Jesus better. I don't have any other motive. I don't have any other reason to be here. I want all of you today that when you leave this place that you feel that you're closer to Jesus than when you came in. He says, I, I want to give you wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better And Paul, this is so important with Paul because I, I've mentioned this along the way, but Paul, one of my favorite characters, the, the reason why he's one of my favorite characters is because he was so nasty towards Christians. He was so hard on the church. He gave approval to the execution of Christians, even though under a rabbinic law and Jewish law, he couldn't do it himself. He would sit in the back row and he would give a thumbs up and a thumbs down to people who were about to be executed. And then Paul gets saved. He actually meets Jesus on the Damascus road. And I could go rabbit hole there for a while, but, but all through Paul's writings, what Paul says is, I know him. I know him. I met him. He says, well, you you can say that if you want, but I actually know the person that I believe in. He says, I actually have met the guy. And I met him in a spiritual way. Paul is constantly going back to how he knows Jesus. And Jesus is not some mythological person for him. He actually knows Jesus. And so his prayer for you, the prayer that he's giving that's truthful, that the motive is right, the prayer is that you know Jesus better most people today wanna to draw people to themselves. We need to have more friends, we need to have more friends on Instagram and Facebook and, and Snapchat and, and I, I tried to do Snapchat recently under the pressure of my teenagers and man, I, I feel like I have, I have had an, a, a revelation, like an aha moment and I, I'm resisting this, I am, I'm resisting this with everything in my soul But it's almost like technology just took one step away from me. It no longer loves me. It no longer is simple. Like Facebook was easy, and Instagram is pictures, and Snapchat. Snapchat is like there's five things going on at once and you got a picture over here and a person over here and they said hi, but you only got nine seconds and then you watch it, I, I missed it and it disappeared and I, I, it's, like, it's like people in the front row right here sent me messages and I was like, oh great, they sent me my first message and they're like, hey, but and I missed it, and missed it, I felt, I felt like destiny had passed me by and then this is blinking, there's a one here and a two over here and then there's a, there's a ghost, there's a ghost. It has to be the devil. If there's a ghost on it, there's a ghost looking at me, and they want me to put my face on the ghost. And all of a sudden, I'm like, this is this is this is this is this is not God. It's not. It's not, my teenage, she's laughing at me, and she's like, you just can't handle it, you just getting old, and, and, I, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, most people, what they want to do is they want to draw, we want to draw, there's this insatiable hunger and thirst today to draw people to yourself or to ourselves, we need more friends, because friends means more influence, and more influence means more name ID, and more name ID can mean several things, but we're constantly trying to bring things to ourselves because our motives are are not right with people, and it's not just to know Jesus, and I was out here this last week, and one of our electricians, we were just chatting in the, in the, in the lobby, and I love, I love the guys who do the electrical work for us, because they're really, like, honest with me, they just tell me things don't work, and things work, and I need that, and one of them says to me, I, I said, we're going to do a coffee bar, and I have a vision for a coffee bar right over here in the corner, and see, see, you feel that, and I, well, this is what happened. So I said to the guy, I said, we're gonna put it right here. We're gonna put it around the corner. I said, I don't know, we'll just I'm just praying it through, maybe, maybe. and I said, I just and, and and I said, I I said, I just wanna serve, I wanna serve the people better on Sundays. And one of them standing right here on my left, looks at me and he goes, And you want coffee. <laughs> I said, What? He goes, And you want coffee. I said, I said, I, said, I do. I do. I do. And the Bible says, <laughs> Ask and you shall receive. And and walk and and you won't faint if you if you have it. <laughs> and and he just looked at me and smiled. And I, I remember saying fifty percent of my motive was was totally selfish. <laughs> I just want my triple 12-ounce Americano with room on Sundays, but no cream because I, I want the room because without the room, it slops up on my shirt before I preach. And uh, if you're a preacher, you appreciate you learn these things. So I get my Americano with a little bit of room so that it doesn't pop up. I and mean, he just smiled at me and walked off. He goes, okay, we'll put an outlet for your coffee. Uh, but i just constantly being checked. So Paul wanted, but Paul wanted people to know God better. Paul didn't care if he ever saw them again. He didn't care if he ever went to their city again. He didn't care if he ever passed through on another missionary. He didn't care. He didn't know their name, didn't want to know their name, didn't care. Just read the letter. All he cared about was that, that, that whoever it was that would receive the letter, that they would know Jesus better. See, that has to be like this underlying motive in the church and Christianity, because if it's not, we're all gonna get funny with our motives and we're gonna get funny with our vision and we're gonna get kind of weird with how we do things and why we do things. And it's knowing God that is the balancer, it's the check and balance to every motive and every thought that we have. Paul said, I just want you to know God better. And in the next couple of verses, he's gonna relate this to the tomb, okay? Um, he's going he's gonna to say, you, you, I want you to know God better, but you can't know God on your own. And this is really important when we talk about the heart and the grave, which is next, because, because he says, I want you to know God better, but you can't do it by yourself. God actually has made the choice to know you And because he's made that choice, he's then torn down every wall and every barrier. He had to tear through every barrier, including his own physical body. He had to tear through a tomb and through his body. and He had to to tear through all of that so that that you could know him. Because there's nothing that we can do to know him. The Bible says that, that to know God, you have to go through Jesus. So he made the choice to know you. So, what I want you to do is picture just for a minute Jesus walking out of the tomb. And I want you to just know this when Jesus walked out of the tomb, he was on his way to find you. When Jesus walked out of the tomb, he was on his way to find you. Now, we see that symbolically with Peter and the apostles. And I love it because the first, the only, the only apostle he really brought up was Peter. That's the only guy. Because Pete was out uh, sulking in his boat fishing. And he had kind of messed up, and he had unforgiveness, and he was struggling with his relationship with Jesus. And so he says, go, go find everybody, tell them I'm alive. And he says, and tell Peter. There was a very personal note to when Jesus came out of the tomb. He knew specifically where Peter was in his life and what his, and physically, and knew his thoughts and knew his struggle and knew what his tomb was. See, Jesus knew what, what had him trapped, Jesus knew where he was stuck. Now look at this verse. I'm going to pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for those who believe. So he says, I'm going to I want the eyes of your heart to be enlightened. So this is the first step that he takes from the tomb. So he says, he says, there's something in your heart, the eyes of your understanding. Now, Christianity, by the way, is the only religion in the world that talks about the heart. It's the only one. Other religions are divided amongst three things. The mind, the body, and the spirit. So some religions focus entirely on the mind. Some religions focus entirely on the body and being free in your body, the mind, the body. And some, some religions will say it's all about your spirit, and so you have to try to attain a certain spiritual thing through meditation or whatever it is. But all they've done is they've pulled apart, if you will, and created counterfeits for what is true because the Bible says that your heart is made up of your mind, your spirit, and your body, all three. Christianity is the only religion that focuses on the heart because the heart is the place where love exists, and Christianity is based on love, not performance. Every other religion is based on performance because they've separated, they've deconstructed what the heart really is, but Jesus brings it all back and he says, you have to know the love of God in your heart, and it's not based on performance. And so God wants the eyes of your heart to have light. So he he makes a picture of of, uh, when Jesus came out of the grave. And I want you to picture Jesus in the grave. We don't always think of this. When Jesus was in the grave, there was no light. It was pitch black. So everything that Jesus did in the grave, he did in the darkness. Jesus himself was the light in the darkness. Jesus was going to move the stone. And in moving the stone, he was going to bring enlightenment, if you will. He was going to bring salvation and truth and motive into the world. So when we find Jesus, when God comes into our heart, it's like being what we call born again. That's in scripture, where the light comes out of a dark place. And this is us. We, we're born, a baby is born, and we, we come out of the, into the world and we open our eyes for the very first time and we see light. We realize that the light is in the darkness in your heart. Jesus has to be In your heart. He has to be sitting in your your mind, your body, your spirit. He's got to be in the place where love exists. So to open the human heart is not easy. I've seen some hearts that were closed like a tomb. I've met so many people in my life, when we talk, I, I realize they're so closed. Their heart is closed. I mean as tight as the tomb. Like there was a giant rock between us, a stone, that I cannot move on my own. There's no intellectual argument I can make. I can try to hug them because that's what I do. I hug people. I'm always hugging people. I can do anything I want, but it just doesn't quite work. And that's because it's not my work. It has to be the work of God. And he wants the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened. So he says here, I want you to know hope. I want you to understand inheritance and power. What is incredible about this verse is that Paul talks about three things that I believe are the three greatest stones at the entrance of the heart of all men. Let me give these to you. Three stones that cover the entrance of the human heart. I'm going to give you one for each day that he was in the grave. The first one is hope. So the stone of hopelessness. The belief that nothing can change. It's it's one of the greatest barriers between people and God. is they just don't have any hope. They're faced with a situation that they just don't think it's ever going to change because they've tried so many times on their own to move the stone and it won't move there's no way to do it so it really makes no difference what the problem or the situation is i promise you i promise you god can move the stone but hopelessness is a stone the stone of missed or lost inheritance it means the belief that god or life has nothing for me you have no purpose i want you to know that god god created you with a purpose and a design he created you in a way that that was perfect so that he could then he could then reveal to you what your purpose is and you could be used by God. You were you're here for a reason. Life has not passed you by. There's there's no reason to ever be alone in a place and think I don't I don't understand. I think people who take their own lives sometimes, you know, they they literally believe there's no, number one no hope and number two they believe that life has nothing for them. There's nothing in this life for me. But it's a lie. Number three, the stone of being powerless. God cannot do what he said. Some people are holding on so desperately to a promise. And when the promise doesn't come to pass on our own timeline, what happens is we give up and we start to say, God's not going to do it. He's not going to do what he said. So it's these three stones. It's the stone of hopelessness and inheritance and power, these are the three things that, that Paul brings up because he understands that. I want you to know the hope. I want you to have the inheritance. And I want you to experience this power of God. And by the way, it's the same power that brought Christ from the dead. The tomb represents a place where there is no light. The tomb and the human heart are compared here to where there is no light. But look at what Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 says. For it is God who said... Let light shine out of the darkness. He made light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Jesus. That's why I want you to know Jesus. John uh, chapter one, verse four, in him was life and the life was the light of men. So no matter what you're facing today, want you to know Jesus but I want you to know this that Jesus is the light in your tomb. He is the light in whatever tomb, whatever place where that seems dark and there is nothing. There's is, there is absolutely no stone that God cannot move. I've seen so many people change. You know this is, this is great. I I'm having this incredible experience as a church that's, we're a younger church, we're not new by any means anymore, but I'm having an incredible experience. And the experience is, is knowing so many of you, especially the people who came early on that have been around a while, because I do know your stories. And, I, and so many of you had stones in front of your heart. I remember, uh, I remember one young man came walking in the back of the uh, of the church one day. This is back when we were in a hotel. He, he came walking in wearing a cowboy hat, which straight up intimidated me. And uh, we didn't see a lot of those in Portland. Um, we saw way more dreadlocks with, with like sticks and twigs and than we ever saw a cowboy hat. I remember the first cowboy hat. The first cowboy hat I'm preaching and he, in, in walks this this strong young man with a cowboy hat. And I remember walking in thinking, that guy is either gonna find Jesus or he's gonna hurt me (laughs) by the end of the service. And I'll never forget, I almost had to ignore him because uh, he intimidated me, just his presence and, and the look on his face like, I've been here before, I've seen this before. I come to find out it was my sister invited me I'm only here for her this is the kind of look he had now I don't know if that's really what was going on in his in his head but I know this I know that by the end of the service his countenance had changed his heart had opened up Jesus had done a powerful work and he's been here uh, since almost the first or second second week that we started the church the first few weeks. And he helps us every week on the building and he's, he's got an incredible wife and and uh, he's one of our closest friends. But I remember looking at him. I remember one day, Remember this? there was this one couple that, that came in and and uh, <clears throat> there was this really nice blonde girl who would sit over on the left. And she's a great girl, but I, I didn't even know she was married. The reason I didn't know she was married was because her husband could never come into the worship service. So he would stand outside, big guy, athlete, uh, he was a professional semi-pro hockey player. He was a golfer, like a big-time golfer. He was also a chef. He just, he'd stand outside, and he would just look intimidating and drink coffee until the worship was over because the worship was way, way too, like, emotional for him, right? So he would never come to worship. And then just through a number of circumstances, I remember the first day, something shifted in his life. He comes to the back of the, of the church. He sits in the front row, and I thought, I thought, God, you're moving in his heart. So you know, by the end of that service, without going through the details of how it happened, but but by the end of that service, he was weeping like a baby. He was just sitting there, tears pouring down his face. And while well, every hard uh, rock in front of his heart had been moved, and God just did this incredible work. And whether it's you or whether it's someone else that you know, listen to me, my only prayer is that you know God better because God can actually come and he can change he can move where the rock is. We'll end here today. Ephesians chapter one, verse 19 to 21, the last half of verse 19. That same power, by the way, is, is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. This is incredible because he's saying that, that it, it, it's, the human heart is so tough to break through, that it literally takes the work of Christ, the same power to raise him from the dead. That's what it takes for the human heart. So it's rather intimidating if you think of it how can my heart even change? How can I even have any kind of a breakthrough? Like, like you're not giving me any hope today. What you're saying to me, Doug, is that is that uh, my heart is so hard or I've been through so much or my family's been through so much that, that only God can do it. There's nothing I can do. And you know what? It's the truth. There isn't anything you can do, but this is the key. Luke chapter 24, verses two and three. Let me read this to you. And they found the stone. They found The stone. Rolled away. See the, the stone, the stones in front of your heart have already been moved. See, this is what grace is. We we tend to think that I don't know how to move this stone, I don't know how to get the stone out of the way. But the truth is, the stone, you're you're just like you're like Mary, you're like the, the, the women who came to bring spices and they showed up and the stone was already moved and he was already out of the tomb. This should be the, the life of Christianity where you think it's gonna be really hard and when you actually get there, I can't tell you how many times I've been in my office of people and we have this big issue we're gonna work through. We sit down in 30 seconds, we're all crying, it's over. We thought it was gonna take two years, come on. Took 30 seconds because when you show up, you realize, wait, the, to- the stone's already been moved. You, you mean it's already done? They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. When they went in and they did not find, they did not find the body of Jesus, which meant that he was rose again. And I'll close with this. When it comes to moving the stones in your life, Jesus has already done the heavy lifting. He's already taken all of what you hold and what's hard for you. He's he's put it on his shoulders. He hung on the cross. He gave his life And when it was all done, he knew it was done. He looked up to the father and he says, Father, he says, it's it's all done. It is finished. I finished the journey. We did it. And then he went to the grave for three days and then resurrected to prove to everyone that he was who he was. And he came out of the grave. Ladies and gentlemen, the stone has already been moved. It's not as hard as you thought. As a matter of fact, it's the easiest thing you're ever going to do. It's like you just have to have the revelation. Let your eyes be opened. I, my prayer is that you know God more today. That's it. And that He strengthened you. Let's pray as we close. Will you bow your heads with me? If you're here and you're thinking to yourself, I've had a few large boulders in front of the the door of my heart. I've had some large struggles in the door of my heart, and I I don't know if it's hope, I don't know if it's a a belief that life has anything for you, or if God won't fulfill his promises. But if if you've had boulders, large rocks in front of your heart, and you're realizing right now that God's already done the work, what I want to do is I want to pray for you today that you know him at that place, in that level, in that revelation, that the work is done, the rocks are gone, and he was the light in the tomb. He's the light. Heads bowed, please. Eyes closed. If you want to receive this prayer, please don't anyone not receive this prayer today. But if if that's you and you've been through a season, I want you to lift your hand right now, right where you're sitting. Let me pray for you as we wrap the service up today. And I just want to ask Jesus to come and, and to bless you and to strengthen you today. Keep those hands lifted. Father, I thank you for all of the hands that are lifted around the building. And you're such a good God. Now, Jesus, you've already done the heavy work. You've already moved the boulders, the stones, the barriers. That's what you did when you came to earth. That's why you came. But it's so hard for us to believe it. It's so hard for us to see it. It's it's so hard for us to have that moment where we just quit working and trying so hard and we just let God take over. I'm praying today, Jesus, that these folks with their hands lifted would just let God take over. We love you so much. Father, I love you with all my heart. Bless these people. Strengthen these people. Give them hope. Let them see that there's a a, a purpose for their life and that you're the fulfiller of promises. I want all the people in the church to pray this as we close this morning. Say, Jesus, I love you so much. And I'm so grateful for what you've done. You forgave me because you loved me. And because you love me, you came to me. The heavy work is already done. My heart is open, and I receive you. And today, I celebrate what you've done for me. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Now, can you clap your hands and tell Jesus you love him today? Come on, tell him you love him. Will you do me a favor? If you you lifted your hand, if you lifted your hand today, I challenge you in the next 90 seconds as we close to grab one of those cards in front of that seat. Put your name on it. Let me and the other pastors. So let us give you a call and we'll pray together. We'll